0: Tonight, I guess I'm not actually talking about a, a very funny talk. I'm talking about a, a hard topic, the topic of suffering. Um, and I guess I just want to start by saying that suffering, what I'm going to do here in this brief amount of time is there's so many areas I could go with this. I don't have time to cover everything. And even if I was able to cover all the different things there are to say about suffering, I also want, just want to start by saying I don't think there's an airtight solution to suffering. That I could like hand you this little jar and say like, here it is, suffering, the solution to sufferings in here. Do you feel better now? I don't believe that exists, but I do believe that of all the options, I'm compelled, and this is where I will end up going, that I'm compelled that Christianity gives us the best answer to suffering. So we're going to be talking about can we trust God in this suffering world, in the suffering world. So Kind of where we're going, I'm going to briefly look at some, a couple religions again, because I believe that comparing the um, different places we have to turn is critical when we look at a difficult topic like this. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the Christian response to suffering. There will be some um, overlay with what Andy said there, just because the gospel is um, the answer. So we all, as we speak together, and you'll hear all of us run to the cross, run to the gospel, because that is where we find our hope and our comfort. So sorry for that um, overlap there. But my main encounter with suffering came when I was a missionary in Africa, southern Sudan. I was there from 2008 to 2012. I was, um, Sudan was only nine months, but two, the, uh, there was another two years I was in a Muslim people group off the coast of Africa. Um, learning to speak shibushi, an unwritten language, as we reached out to locals. But when I was in Sudan, there were, the people would, the people group there would take their corn, their crop, and they would make so much beer that their children would starve. And so I would, we we ran a clinic up there, and we'd see these children come, starving, because of the drunkenness and the addiction to um, the alcohol. And for me, to see a little child, I have three children, but, and this before my children, but to see these little children dealing with hunger because of the selfishness of the parents, not only did it break my heart, it infuriated me as well. And it was very hard to actually have the compassion that I know God wanted me to have for the people. It, it was It was a struggle. So this, I think our internal response to this, I see some of you guys shaking your head just, Yes, that's, there's this internal response in us that wells up, and there's this rejection to this idea of suffering. This type of suffering is disorientating to be around. Uh, because when we see things like this, and we hear stories like, the one, like, like these ones, um, something in your heart cries out that this is wrong. This is not how things should be. And there's, like I said, there's different worldviews out there, and there's different responses, so I'm just going to breeze through a few of them. I wish I could cover all of them, but I'm just looking at atheism briefly, I've heard some people say, I could never believe in a God in light of our suffering world, Um, or they might say, even if God does exist, he is cruel and unfair God to allow the kind of suffering in the world to exist. This idea that um, I could never believe in God in light of the suffering world, the interesting thing here is there is an admission that it is an act of the will. It's a willful rejection. I could never believe in a God with all the suffering in the world. It's not actually a rejection of the fact that God doesn't exist, although that's where a lot of times people go, therefore I don't believe in God. But at the, at the, the base level there, there's an assumption that um, even if there was a God because of this suffering, I, have, I would reject him. Now, the interesting thing here within atheism that we see is these are moral objections. This is an idea that there's suffering is wrong and if God does exist then he is wrong to allow it. And within atheism this, the bigger problem here that in atheism is that when we start to look at the foundation of this objection it's hard to actually ground. You say suffering is wrong and I say says who? You say suffering's wrong. Okay. So On what basis do you have this morality to say that suffering is wrong, is what I would say to the atheist. So you tell me it's wrong, but says who? You if it's just you who say it's wrong, I'm wondering where you're actually grounding your morality. And within atheism, there is a problem with grounding morality because there is no objective moral law giver. In order to ground it. And then those who those of you who are familiar with Ravi Zacharias are probably familiar with him talking about this, where he talks about if there's a moral law, if there's good, then there has to be evil. If there's um, good and evil, there has to be a moral law. And if there's a moral law, there has to be a moral law giver. It's something that he's anyone who's seen him has probably heard him say it, because he says it a lot. Um, but I think it's I think it's it's critical for us to actually think through. So at the Base, basis of this objection, we have Richard Dawkins who says that all we are is dancing to our DNA. So from the atheist perspective, the naturalistic perspective says that we are just molecules in motion, just crashing together. And if that is true, and if we are just dancing to our DNA, then there's no actual way to judge something as right or wrong and suffering, okay. objecting to suffering on moral grounds, is just a shout into a void. Again, I'm going to breeze through a lot of these worldviews, so feel free to ask follow-up questions because I know we could go a lot deeper into each of these things. I'm just trying to like trot along and hit each of these just a little bit here. Beyond this, there's no hope. So, okay, atheism. You take God out of the picture, all this suffering in the world, and you say, therefore, I reject God. There is no God. You're still existing in the world. You're still having to deal with suffering. There's no hope. Now, I don't want hope based on a lie. I don't want that. But if there's good reason to believe in Christianity, a place you could find hope, then that is something I would say is worth looking at very hard and, and, and embracing. So no hope. There is, as Andy was talking about Islam, in Islam, just you hear this, inshallah. It's this idea that if God wills it, everything's determined by God. And so he's actually... Um, the cause of everything that happens, inshallah, if God wills it. The, I was talking to a friend about um, Buddhism, and he, he said, I told him, isn't in Buddhism, like, suffering's an illusion, right? He's like, yeah. I said, so you believe all suffering is an illusion? He's like, yeah. And I just find that unlivable. I'm like, so you're telling me that I have to say any terrorist attack that happens, any type of, any war, any, any of that stuff, that's an illusion? So you get stuck with cancer, like that's an illusion. That just, I just find it absolutely unlivable. There is a more more popular one um, hitting the scene more and more with Oprah. I call it Oprahism. It's the um, it's the New Age belief. It's this idea. You find it in Eckhart Tolle. Um, Deepak Chopra has some of it. You have um, the Secret is like a video and and a little book that's a bestseller. And it's basically it but Oprah really pushes us out, and it's the law of attraction. It's this idea that the universe is energy. There's energy in the universe, and it's all part of us, and the energy we, pu- we put out is what we get back, and so if you put out positive energy, you'll get positive things. It's like, you know, you feel my vibe type thing. If you put out negative energy, you receive negative, you get negative things come to you, and it's this law of attraction. It goes down to this ridiculousness in the, in the video of The Secret, um, which I found on my mom's little shelf, so I, I Stole it from her. Um, No, I actually told her I'm taking this from you. Um, But as I watched it, there's this ridiculous, I mean, plenty of ridiculous scenes in it, but there's this one where it talks about, when it's talking, it's describing this law of attraction, shows someone putting their bike on a pole And it says like, you know, when you put out positive energy, you think positive things, positive things happen. They don't lock up their bike, they come back all happy and they have their bike. Then they talk about, and when you put out negative energy and they show this person locking their bike and that person's come, the person who locked their bike came back and is gone. It's this idea, I was so afraid of having it stolen that it got stolen. And it's quite comical, but then it's also absolutely insulting because it's completely up to you. My um, aunt who who died of cancer, I took this off my mom's shelf and I said, this is absolutely horrible to live by. Because what it's saying is saying Aunt Lisa died because she wasn't wasn't able to heal herself. It's completely works-based, it's completely up to you. If you are struck with any type of disease, any type of suffering, it's because of your lack of ability to put out positive energy. So that's one place to turn, suffering Hinduism. Um, Ram Gurdumal was a, um, Gurdumal was a successful Indian businessman. And he was raised Hindu, he became a Christian. And he tells a story about his four hours in the slums. He was familiar with the slums as a child, but then he became a Christian. He went back and he had this life-shaping experience of walking through the slums now as a Christian. He, said, he says this, he says, when he was a Hindu, he said this, this is their karma, this is their destiny, this is what they are paying for, this is their lot. Sometimes we think of karma as a good thing, you hear it always been popularized, but really suffering, they're just living out their karmic debt, and they need to actually live that out. And so the lat, there's no, there, he had no compassion. Now he goes to confront the same slums as a Christian and he says, Christ, I had this realization, Christ came for the sick, he came for the poor, came for the prostitute, came for the outcast. And he started one of the biggest um, international um, help funds to like help people that, who are impoverished. And this is a very clear view that as a Hindu, he walks in, he doesn't actually, his worldview doesn't allow him to see it the same way. He walks in as a Christian and it is completely different. So the way we think, what we believe, affects how we live, and affects how we see things. Okay, so as I said earlier, suffering is clearly a problem for everyone. No, ma- no matter what you believe. Didn't you just contradict yourself? You just totally put down the secret and the idea that our thoughts could have an impact, but the Hindu guy, his thoughts count because he's a Christian? No. Yeah, sorry if that was misunderstanding. No, I was when I when I was talking about um, the secret, saying if we base everything on the law of attraction and that we have to think good thoughts in order to get the good things, and that's the only way that that can be. I'm saying his worldview, his basis belief, not necessarily his. I mean, yes, in the belief is the way of thinking, but as he encountered this as a Christian with a different set of beliefs, it was um, it changed the way he interacted with the scene. I. I could make sure, I'll make sure to get to that more in the Q and A, but I want to make sure I hit everything here. Um, I hope, I don't think I contradicted myself, but I'm open to being challenged on that. Um, So as I, as I, as I said earlier, no matter what you believe, suffering is an issue, it's a problem. And it's easy to throw stones at um, different beliefs. But here's the thing, we got to understand our options. And the reason I want to survey everything is because we only have limited options in what we're gonna believe. Everyone has a worldview, and you have to turn somewhere. So I say this because a lot of people think you can reject God based on suffering, but where do you turn? You could turn to one of these other, another belief system, you could turn to the rejection of God, but you have to deal with their conclusions. And you have to live your life. If you, if you want to live your life with integrity, you have to deal with our conclusions. Now, I know plenty of people who have different belief systems, but then maybe the life, um, the life isn't lived within, with integrity and actually embracing the reality of, of the beliefs. So let me get to Christianity. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this. Like I said, there's a lot I could talk about, but here I'm just going to address some of the common objections and then look at why a good and loving God might allow suffering. And what he's done about it. Out of all the Christian responses. I'm just going to share a couple. We have a limit, this one is the idea that we have limited knowledge. So there's an assumption. within an objection. That to God. On the basis of suffering. This is what it says. If God has good reason for allowing suffering. Then I should know why. That we should know the reasons why. Um, the suffering exists. And I guess I just want to ask the question. But why? Why would we assume that we would know the reasons? I think I can illustrate this. Just when I was um, going into high school, my parents sent me to a different high school. I was part of a really bad group of friends. Many of them ended up in jail. Um, that was one of the best things as I look back. In hindsight, they say hindsight's twenty twenty. When I look back, I think that was so wise of my parents. I was not very happy about it in that moment though. And I didn't. There was a lot I, I didn't understand why they were doing what they were doing, but they saw something that I didn't see. Now, if this is the parent-child relationship, how much more from creation to Creator can we expect to maybe not understand? As the Bible says, His ways are higher than our ways; His thoughts are higher than His um, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So. Quickly there. There's also the objection it is wrong or evil of God to bring us into a world where suffering exists. And I've heard this, I've talked to people about this. Is if the fact that suffering exists and the fact that God brought us into this world, that is evil of Him to do so. And I asked this person when I was talking to him, I said, Well, let me ask you a question. Let me give you something to run through. There's two things I want to say to this. And this first one is um, a conversation I had when I was in the UK. I said, imagine you could live a, a, a life of pure bliss, the most, pleasure, the most pleasure-filled life, best, best experience you've ever had for three minutes. And that was your life. It was the best, best feeling. I mean, you could not, no drug actually could even ever get you there. Pure bliss for three minutes. Or you could die tomorrow. Have the life you've lived. He was, I think, 19 years old with all the suffering you've had, or say you live till you're 90 and endure all the suffering, all the loss of your friends throughout time, which one would you choose? And he said, well, I'd rather live the life I've lived even with all the suffering. I don't think it's that easy to say that um, it's evil of God to bring us into a world of suffering. The other thing with this, the second thing I wanna say to this is the idea with um, childbearing. Any of you who desire to have children or have had children, know that you, had to, you have to deal with the fact that you're bringing children into a suffering world. I, di- I dealt with this as a parent as well. And this is one reason why a lot of people don't have kids, that I, I can never have kids with all the suffering that happens in this world. That's, that's your choice. But if p- someone were to say that the, this God is evil for bringing us into a world based on suffering, then you see what that does. That makes every person who's ever been, had kids, evil because they brought kids into a world of suffering, including the person who's objecting, their parents. And so they're objecting their own existence. Um, so that's, that is something to consider. And I, this is the thing is I knew when I brought my kids into this world that they would endure suffering, but the, the value of the loving relationship that I'd have with them makes it worth enduring any suffering that would take place. I found that it was, it was I'm willing to take the risk. <laughs> In, in, in creating life in order to have this valuable relationship. Think about the great lives lived. This comes from um, the book Why Suffering by Ravi Zacharias and one of my good friends, Vince Vitale. He gives a thought experiment here. He says, think of a person that you admire, maybe one of the greatest people in history. One person I always go to is Martin Luther King Jr. because I've studied his life and I admire what he did a lot. Now think, so you guys imagine someone, whoever that is. Now think of this person's character and how it was formed. Okay? Think of that person's relationship, think about their great triumphs, their career, their sacrifices, their steadfastness for what is good and true. Now try in your imagination to just subtract from that person's life any, all possibilities of suffering. Subtract the suffering that shaped the culture and the family where they were born into, the suffering that formed their character, the suffering that they fought against, the suffering they carried out. What happens to that life you're picturing when you remove all that suffering? All of a sudden, it doesn't look anything like the great life you're initially so inclined to admire and to celebrate. You see, without the possibility of significant suffering, practically every great story in history would not be true. No one would have ever made a significant sacrifice for anyone else. No great moments of forgiveness or reconciliation would ever happen. No opportunities to stand for justice or against injustice. No compassion. Compassion wouldn't exist because there's nothing to be compassionate about. Criticism without alternative is empty. It's easy to get mad about the world God made, but it's really hard to suggest something else. World making is pretty difficult when we actually conceive of what it might take to make a world. You know, I was, people say that this world has too much suffering. But when we think about making a world, I just think about a simple illustration I had with, I was at my desk working my, and I was at home and I forgot to um, drain the bathtub and I didn't hear my daughter and I thought, oh, I mean, just, rose up, jumped, ran to the bathtub. She wasn't in there. She was with her mom. But I had this moment of panic. Now, I could, to make a world without water, with the possibility, I mean, if you have a world with water, there's the possibility of drowning. Um. So to to even conceive of what that would look like to make a world, I think there's just one little illustration, to make a world without the possibility of water. I don't, I don't even know what that would look like. I'm just trying to basically show that it's much more difficult to conceive them than what I think. Fire and all the things that we get from the ability to make fire means you can also get burnt. There's, there are very good things we rely on that we in life, but they are not as easy to say we could just do without them because it changes everything. So world-making is actually much more difficult when we actually say this world has too much suffering. I think it might be hard to conceive of a world without. So according to Christianity, what God chose was to make a world where relationship is the most important. But here's, what, and here's something that um, Vince Vitale writes again in his book, Why Suffering. He says, according to Christianity, what God values above all is relationship. But for relationship to be meaningful, it must be freely chosen. For a relationship to be freely chosen, it must, means there must be the possibility of rejecting it. And wherever there's the possibility of rejecting a relationship, there's a possibility of pain and suffering. That is, there is free will to do what we want, to choose what we want. At the heart of the Christian message is an offer to know the creator of this vast universe, to offer to everyone, and everyone has a choice. And so backing up and going a little bit in what Andy was talking about, when we read about the first few chapters of the Bible, we read about a God who creates a good world. But mankind rejects the one thing he says not to do and trusts in their own desires and rejects that relationship. People like to make lists of sins and whatnot, but at the basis, sin is just a rejection of acknowledging God for who he says he is. And repentance, to turn to that, is to acknowledge that God, who's God around here? It's answering that question. And so instead, what we do is we put the crown on our own head when we wake up rather than acknowledging the crown on his head. And we have to ask ourselves, how's this going for us? How is our world ruling going? We continue to make more and more laws to protect people and to protect ourselves, but we continue to have the suffering and the law breaking. And I'm not convinced that the more you make The more laws you make, the better we're going to actually be, better off we're going to be. How are we doing with world ruling? We live in a suffering world because it's the natural consequence of our decision to reject God in the beginning and to reject God even now. And to reject what to do, I mean, reject what he says to do is right. And it may not seem very uplifting um, to think through that, but the good news that Andy shared and that we have within Christianity is that it would be completely just of God just to kind of leave us on our own, to, deal, to drown in our mess. But God gives that promise in the beginning in Genesis 3.15 that there will be one who will come. And they, people did not expect the way it would happen, that this rescue plan would be the way, carry out the way it did. But God humbled himself, became a man, lived the human life, lived through hard times, lived through suffer- suffering, and ultimately died that death on the cross. Rose three days to give hope, one, assurance that what he, everything he said is true, but to give hope of the future, that this is not just it. You will be healed. There will be a time where no more tears, no more suffering. And he died this death, and he says, follow me. Another example that I've, I've heard, I think, Tim Keller give is uh, some people walking by the river. Say we're walking by a river, and I tell you, I love you so much, I would die for you. And I jump in the river, and I drown. And you're probably looking at me like, you idiot. <laughs> that makes no sense. How is that showing me your love? But if you were to slip and fall and jump in, And I say, I love you, and I dive in, I get you to the side as I get swept off and drown. That is showing my love. There's an object to my expression, my love. And that is exactly what God has done in that he sees us drowning in our mess. And he doesn't stay off distant like Allah would. He actually comes in. And that same passage, no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend you have romans 8 but god demonstrates his own love for us while we were sinners christ died for us and so where is god in suffering where is he well when jesus was sending out his main group of disciples his followers he says i will be with you i am surely i am always with you to the end of the age so where's god he's with us You know, when I go through suffering, I don't actually want the logical answer. I don't want the, um, you know, all the good good thoughts people have for me all the time, like to share their little wisdom. I want someone to talk to. I want my wife to come alongside me or I want to call my mom. Those are the places I want to go. I want to talk to someone. But I just really want them to listen. And that's the thing is, like, this is the one place you actually find that longing in your heart is actually there in Christianity because God is actually there. He says, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm here with you. I've suffered with you. And so we have that idea that John three sixteen that God gave himself for us. But there's that idea that like with any gift, you got these gifts here and you can look at this thing and you can say like, yeah, that's a nice gift. That's interesting but actually to make the gift yours, you have to actually receive it. You have to actually take it as yours and make it, make it your own. The little kids who will get these, like they will become their gifts when they receive them. And that is actually the offer that Christianity has. It says, this gift is there, you can observe it, you can talk about it, you can philosophize about it, you can do all these things, but like, until you actually embrace it and make it your own, then it's not yours. And God is that gift. You know, when I, I've heard, I heard one theologian say, like, people think about, you know, out there, uh, up in heaven, what it's like, whatever heaven is. Um, you think about the nice car, like the, the nice riverside house and whatnot, but you could think about all these things, all these gifts in heaven, but is God there when you conceive of heaven? Because God is the ultimate gift. God is the good news. The fact that we get him, um, that's the good news. And that's the good news that Christianity has for us as we encounter and deal with a suffering world. So where is God? He is there, suffering alongside us. He stepped into time and space to walk with us. And the question is left up to us. So that's the challenge.